It's going to be funny as all get out, and we'll all enjoy the laugh and thank the Lord for it. Amen? Amen. That's how they learn. You know, you give them the opportunity. That's how they learn. And uh, it makes them aspire to want to do things like that, you know? I remember, <clears throat> it's funny uh, where some things come from. You know, I didn't pl- learn to play guitar till I was 19, and, or 18, I think uh, on my birthday turning 19, uh, graduating school, and I never had played an instrument prior to that. And uh, my aunt uh, got a, gr- a guitar and an amp at a garage sale. And it had like one volume knob on the guitar. It had like one volume knob on the amp. So it wasn't anything like metal type or thing. And the guitar literally looked like it was probably made in the garage. I mean, it wasn't like a brand name anything, but it had six strings and it had volume and it came with a book. Uh, I remember it was like Ernie Ball Basics. And it was this like, you know, and this is before I'd even heard the song Brown Eyed Girl. I was like, here, learn how to play Brown Eyed Girl. I was like, I don't even know what that song is. You know, I was like, I don't know what this song is. But I remember it had all these basic chords, and it showed you where to put your fingers. And so I started learning from there. And it's just funny. I mean, I would go on and continue to play from that point on and never put it down. I remember my first purchase when I got out of boot camp was at a, a uh, American Fender Stratocaster. And it was like, that's the first thing. You have all this money that you save up for three months because you don't spend anything at boot camp. And the first thing I did was, like, I'm going to buy a guitar. And, and then I took that guitar all around the country. Uh, so... Uh, not just this country, but a few others too. Uh, so it's kind of a neat thing. I mean, you know, you just never know like what is going to be that part that just makes you inspired to do something more, you know, where all of a sudden you decide that's it. I'm going to try to sing or I'm going to try to play something. Or Sometimes you put a kid in that position, it inspires them for something like that. So uh, might have to let, let a kid do that sometimes. Just let him come up and sing, take a microphone. That's all right. Jared can turn it down if he gets too crazy. He can turn it down back there. It's all right. Uh, it, it'll be fun. So we're going to continue this morning where we left off, and we're going to kind of conclude this Thank Christmas series. Uh, I, I've been working really hard in a lot of this just to keep it really simple. Um, I mean, this whole series is really nothing more of a reminder of who you are and who you belong to. It's nothing, it's nothing intricate. It's nothing heavy. Uh, we're not throwing the hammer down uh, on any of this. Um, uh, it, it's really... It's really this idea and, and, and time to remember, like, uh, how, basically, when, that we conduct ourselves in a manner according to Christ. It's really what it is. Because we're around people uh, this time of year where we don't see people very often. And so, really, our only witness, because they might know how I know they're believers, I know how they feel, but we're not going to bring up politics or religion around Christmas just so we don't freak anybody out, right? But, like it or not, when we say and we profess we're Christian, when other people know we're Christians, they expect us to ask, act a certain way. Our kids do too, man. If anybody's going to look at us and really judge us, our kids are definitely going to. And, and definitely those who we've maybe known most of our life. You know, they're, they're waiting for us to, you know, like I know for me, uh, I guarantee my friends like back in the old days of going to school, if I was around those guys, they'd, they'd be waiting for the old gym to come back out. That's just all they're going to wait for. And, and uh, it'd be disappointing for them on that end, but but that's the temptation, I think, that also that the enemy throws at us, too, just to revert back into something easy and comfortable. And if we're not careful, we, we often do. Um, but I think that we're called to conduct ourselves in a manner um, that represents Christ well, right? And, and, and really in a way that other people can see Christ in us as a witness. And this is what Paul was trying to convey to the Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 11, Paul says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, he says this, we work hard to persuade others. 
God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. So Paul was saying that the reason we live the Christian life, the reason we push the Christian life, the reason we would go out of our way to learn how to conduct ourselves, to change this, this flesh into something new, uh, is because we work hard to persuade others. Our job is to help persuade others to the coming of the Lord. And for, for them to do that, they need to see Jesus in us. Now, Paul furthers this train of thought into the idea that we're ambassadors of reconciliation. It's our ministry to conduct ourselves in a way that shows the work of Christ in us. In this way, they believe the Christmas story, right, of Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary. They believe when they see Christ in us, they believe the Easter story of Jesus dying on the cross for all man's sins and, and coming alive on the third day. They believe these things. They see these things because they see the evidence of Jesus in us because we're no longer like we used to be, right? We're changed. We're supposed to be supposed to be changed into this new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. If he follows this train of thought. If you're there in 2 Corinthians 5, just a, a couple of verses later, it says in verse 13, if it seems we're crazy, by the way, that you're going to get called crazy, if you don't, there might be an issue with your Christianity. You maybe need to check yourself because Christianity runs against the current, not with it. All right, so people think you're weird. It's okay. Paul says, if it seems we're crazy... It's to bring glory to God. That's what I'm going to tell people from now on, man. I think you're crazy. Well, it's to bring glory to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got to, you just got to run with it, right? And he says, and if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we're supposed to change. We're supposed to conduct ourselves in a way that represents Christ. Not just Easter, not just Christmas. But what a witness it is when they see us at those moments. Because these are the moments that it's the holiday of Christ. Come on. Easter's not about the Easter Bunny. Christmas, everybody knows Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Awesome guy, because who, who, who doesn't want to celebrate, or who wouldn't want to celebrate a generous giver? I'm, I'm not against Santa Claus. Matter of fact, Joy will tell you, I fight for Santa Claus every year. Now, my kids know better, but it doesn't mean like I love the idea of a guy who runs around just once a year wanting to give away everything. He's literally lived to make stuff to give away all year long. How is that a bad guy, right? Now, I believe in Jesus. I don't think it robs Jesus. If anything, if anything I see Jesus in Santa Claus. Sorry. I don't know if anybody's waiting on that one, but I do. I really love it. Uh, I love Christmas because of that. But people are supposed to see that in us. They're supposed to see. We talked about thankfulness. They're supposed to see these things in us, right? And this is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the change within us and what it produces or what it should be producing. And when others see that significant, noticeable change, that they see Jesus. It testifies and it bears witness to the miracle of Christmas Right? To the miracle that brings about the celebration and the wonder of this time of year. And so we begin this whole series about being truly thankful and grateful and about how important it is to allow the spirit of Thanksgiving to be in your life because it really, Christmas starts in Thanksgiving. I know we don't like it when they put up Christmas decorations like we're just trying to get over Thanksgiving, but it kind of really does because Thanksgiving is a Christmas spirit, really. It really is. Thanksgiving is, is being appreciative of the things in your life, right? It allows others, when you're thankful and you're grateful, allows others to see it, right? A thankful person is a grateful person, and a grateful person is a generous person. And we talked about these things. Generosity comes from the overflowing abundance of thankfulness and gratefulness, and like last week we learned, joy. It comes from joy. Not my wife, but the actual fruit of the Spirit, joy. 
We are led by such wonderful character attributes by the Holy Spirit, which produces these certain things in us so that people know we're walking in the Spirit. We talked last week on love, joy, and peace, and this week we're going to go back to Galatians chapter 5. We'll pick it back up, and I'm going to try to conclude this and wrap it all up. Galatians 5, Galatians 5 verse 22. We're going to pick it up right there. I'll give you a few seconds just to turn there. You can open your digital Bibles, open your real Bibles. Not that the digital's not real, it's just not paper, you know. I like a little bit of the digital Bible. I've gotten a tendency here lately to, you know, my, I don't have the awesome Bluetooth thing that goes to makes my phone talk to the, the car and truck, but so I plug mine in, still old school, if, if that's even old school yet. I plug it in, and, and the cool thing about the Bible app that I have is I can just hit play, and it just reads all the scripture. Just, and it's not like this monotone voice. They actually try to like act it out. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've been enjoying it. Yeah, it does. It does have music in the background. It's pretty awesome, man. You know which one I've always wanted to get? They've had one I saw on sale years ago, and it had like all these famous actors that are covering the different role. Like, I think Denzel was in it. I was like, oh my gosh, Denzel, who's he playing? I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> we know Jesus was British. Come on. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen the movie. I've seen the movie. White British guy. <laughs> Colonized Jerusalem. Oh, Brits. <laughs> That's, it's a great stuff. There's so much good stuff out there. It really is. So Galatians 5, uh, verse 22. We'll pick it up. Just a few verses right here. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions, nailed, yeah, nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. So since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. We'll stop it right there. So let's take time, and we're going to break down the rest of uh, these in a manner that we can kind of retain maybe and, and kind of go back into our homes uh, with our families and friends and be this ambassador of reconciliation that we're called to be. We have covered love, and we covered joy, and we covered beast, but there's six others that need attention, and uh, some, some are easier than others. There are some of these that you, you kind of need to look it up a little bit. It's not as easy as you think, and, and like because just because we... We, uh, you have to always like I have this idea. If you don't, if you're not aware of it, if you don't study the Bible maybe as much. Uh, and for those of you who do, you probably already know this. Like you really need to look up a word. You need to because it doesn't always mean what you think it means. And and the Greek word that they're trying to dumb down for you because it's really what they're trying to do. Because like Greek had like four words for love. We just have love, right? So like they really were more pointedly in what they were trying to say, but we don't have, like, our words are kind of generic words, and it's almost like how we construct a sentence or in the, in the way we say them that really describes what they are. So when we're just, by, by, by definition, just throwing a word out there so you'll understand what that word is, it's too simple sometimes. Now, some of it is really just what it says. It really is that simple, but some of it requires a little bit more study time. The first one we're going to pick up is patience. Now, come on, very few people, if you're going to be honest today, actually pray for patience. Who prays for patience? Not a single person raised their hand, right? Not a single person. Um, yeah, because uh, uh, it, it's, it's just one of those things. I get it. I get it. I once heard a pastor's wife say this uh, 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 to me, uh, you know, when we were talking about this, I said, man, I've been praying for patience. And she goes, I don't ever pray for patience. 
She's like, I have found in my life that God gives that out liberally. You know, and, and that's the way she felt about it. I don't think I'll ever have to pray for patience because the Lord knows we all need it and he gives it out just as easy. And I, I agree, right? I, I agree. She may be onto something. Most everyone that is human struggles with patience, period. Patience uh, for doors to open. I hear that a lot. Man, I just need a door to open. I need this door to open for this or I need a door to open for that. Patience. Give it some time. Allow God to do what he's doing. Let things happen or, or, or let things be patient for doors to close. Man, I need this thing shut in my life. And listen, I hear you. God hears you. Uh, just be patient, right? Uh, patience for direction. Lord, I'm trying to understand where I'm supposed to be. I'm understand what, what's my next decision. What's my next job, right? Pain, patience for decisions, right? The list goes on and on. I mean, you get, it's a lot of things requires patience. Now, the great news is the older you get, the more you're exposed to patience, the less uh, you have to worry about some of this because you kind of already are pretty patient. Like when you're four, you're not, you're not patient. No. 40, a little bit more. 80, a whole lot. Right? You're like, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. It'll happen or it won't. I mean, you know, you kind of learn that in life. Like it will or it won't. And that's just kind of how it is, right? As you get older, it becomes easier. Why? Because God is teaching you patience. Because let's just be honest. If he taught it to you at four, you would hate your life. You would just hate your life. You're like, this is horrible. I don't, why do I want to grow up if I have to be patient? About it? I mean, this is just how it is, right? Now, the King James Version, let's just be honest. The King James Version of the word is my favorite choice of this word. They don't use the word patience. Patience is the, uh, patience is prettied. They use this word in the Greek. They have prettied it by calling it, let's just call it patience. Because in the King James, when you start to get in that uh, uh, century, they just looked at this. This is what they called it. And this is just like sheer honesty to me. They called it long-suffering. <laughs> Same word. Same word. King James called it long-suffering. And anybody that's understood patience, they know this to be the correct word. It's long bouts of suffering. Regardless of your struggle with this fruit of the Spirit, it's supposed to be like in your quiver of arrows, and others should see this in you so that they can see Christ in you. Like that or not, it's part of the fruits of the Spirit. Those who walk in Christ should possess patience, and it should be something that people can see. But patience might be the most unique of all the fruits, because in a sense that we that it can only be learned outside the classroom. I can preach to you patience all day long, but let's be honest, man. Nothing teaches patience like living in it. You know? Nothing teaches patience like waiting on that job to come through. Nothing teaches patience like waiting on the, how God's going to like somehow pay that bill you've been holding off. Like, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible. Nothing teaches patience till you've got a bunch of little tiny kids and you're trying to figure out how to make Christmas happen. Nothing teaches patience like life. Life is the best teacher of patience. You can pray for it all you want, but God's not going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to touch you. You have patience. It doesn't work like that. God, you say, well, Lord, I need patience. I need to, Lord, teach me how to have patience. Okay, then I'm going to send you some moments in your life that you're going to be scared to death, and you're going to just have to wait on me, and that's going to teach you what patience is. That's why nobody prays for it, right? It's hard. We can talk about having patience. I can preach it, but, but life is the best teacher. There are some things that you just have to learn naturally right? Even, even, even life teaches you this. Think about it. How about actual fruit? You don't get to just like, boom, there's fruit. Nah, man, every tree has a season. You don't get fruit instantly. You got to wait. How many know this when you're buying avocados? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Well, we're so, you know, Texas, Mexico, man. Let's, I could have said apples and everything else, but let's be honest. We just really want avocados, <laughs> right? 
You're like, oh, avocados are expensive because it's not in season. I don't even know what they're doing to get them. I mean, how are they? There's some guy out there with a dome over half of Mexico growing avocados. I, don't, I mean, how is he getting them? I don't, I don't know, but I'm so thankful that avocados can get year-round. I don't know how they work that out. But you don't get it instantly, right? You got to do the work. You gotta, if you're going to plant something, you got to wait for it to grow. It doesn't happen overnight, right? How about children, right? You work on them. As soon as they're born, it's not like they instantly figure out how to walk. You got to wait for that to happen, and then you wish it wouldn't. Right? You're like, oh, now i got to clamp up all the doors because they're into anything. I don't want them drinking Windex. Come on. <laughs> right? Even having a child, like just because, like, okay, let's have a child. You still got to wait nine months. It's not like it happens instantly. It's just like, poo, storks don't bring babies. I know that the movie says they do, but they don't. Right? You ask a woman uh, how long nine months is, they're going to tell you it's a long time. They always love it in the beginning, but get close to eight or nine months, you're like, I'm done. Get this baby out of me. I'm tired of being pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant. Like, I hate it now, you know? It was all awesome and dreamy before, but now it's misery, right? Patience. There are a lot of natural scenarios in life that work to produce patience in everyone. And it's so hard to believe that how well you handle patience and excel in patience could actually be or lead to a direct representation of how deep you are in Christ. So and when people watch you go through something that requires patience, they see Jesus in you. It's a neat process. It's a neat process. And even that takes time, right? It is patient that holds the hands of God back even now from exacting judgment upon the earth. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord isn't really slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So Peter is saying that God is holding the end so that everyone will have the opportunity to know him. So when we talk about the end times, right? We talk, man, this thing is coming. There's going to be a day where, man, the the trumpet is going to sound and all this. But the only reason why it's not coming right now is because God's waiting on you. What a witness that is, by the way. God is holding it all back. I mean, the, the flood is waiting to happen. God's got his hand down. He's going, I'm just waiting. I'm holding off. I'm just waiting for you guys. I'm, holding, I'm waiting for you to come around. I'm waiting for you to see that, right? And when they see patience in us, they see that from the Father, right? And this is, what, this is, again, fruit of the Spirit that leads others into knowing who Jesus is. And we have an opportunity at Christmas, just like here. All these little things are going to be quivers and arrows. How we respond to them, how we walk in the fruits of the Spirit, or, or what's going to be the great witness for us around our family and around our friends. And let's just be honest, guys. Like it's, we, we, it's always easy to pray for those we don't know, but praying for those whom we know, who need it the most. Our hearts are already tied to that relationship. It pulls on us harder than anything. Nothing makes us matter than family. Nothing makes us matter than those who we're close to. Come on, because it's only those who are close to that we allow to hurt us. Right? That's what love does. Love makes us vulnerable. That's not a bad thing, guys. Love makes us vulnerable, but that's not a bad thing. The next thing we see, we saw patience, and now we see the word kindness. And I think the hardest part of understanding each fruit of the Spirit is that they're all somewhat the same, and yet they're kind of subtly different. And for instance, when you, when you look up a lot of these, they all share kind of the same definition uh, with only a small little difference. Kindness is actually goodness and gentleness, but maybe what makes this different when the other two, uh, than the other two, and we'll talk about those, is that kindness is defined as really being considerate, as being considerate. Being kind, isn't, being kind to one another isn't a suggestion either. It's like what we're supposed to do. It's, it's not like, hey... Like when it's appropriate to be kind, be kind. No, it's be kind to all 
the time. In looking up a simple definition of kindness, you, you find that it just simply means to be friendly and considerate of others, though. But to be considerate of others is not to cause them inconvenience or to intentionally or purposefully hurt them. Now, I'm going to just be honest. Like, I'm not good at that sometimes. Because sometimes when you get hurt, especially if you're a guy like me that's good with words, the easiest way to hurt back is with words. And it's never in a way that you think. You know, we, we were talking about um, this at work. We have, we've hired this one uh, girl at work. And we, we talked about because I live with four women at the house. And the thing that you say at my house is not something mean at my house. That's not how you hurt my girls is how you hurt my girls. Just say something like, hey, that's how you're going to wear your hair. I don't have to say anything. You know what it's taught me a lot of? How the devil works. You know, the devil never comes out and pointedly says something. He often just responds in the form of a question. Is that how you're going to do it? And now you question how you're going to do it. Is that the will of God for your life? And now you'll question what the will of God for your life is. I, it, 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 you really you start to realize that it's the subtle things you don't realize that comes out of your mouth. And I promise you, and that's not kindness. When you make someone question their, the will of God, when you make someone question their life's decisions, when you make someone question those things, they may not make sense to you, but how, how many of you know this? Your life doesn't make, have to make sense to anybody as long as it makes sense to you. And I think kindness, a lot of, a lot of kindness is just respecting other people's life decisions. Really. It really starts out like that. I mean, I think maybe the most unoffensive thing I can say sometimes is just shut my mouth. And that's a Kindness. Because if my mouth is going to bring a question up that would cause them to say or think anything, listen, that's inconsiderate, right? And even if I, like, well, I didn't really mean to, well, I, sh I should think about the things that I say because my words are powerful. Why? Because I'm walking in the fruit of the Spirit. I walk in the words of Christ. People look at me and expect me to say things that are what? Inspiring, hopeful, generous, loving, caring. They expect this, right? And kindness, it's the character of Jesus and it might have been one of his strongest attributes. I mean, think about it. Jesus never said anything harsh unless it was really appropriate time. He was very smart about when he, uh, uh, the things he said and when he said it. He was, he was kind to the apostles. And these were men who weren't going to church. They weren't going like through the church type. Matter of fact, I mean, these were men that even after they knew Jesus struggled with cussing. <laughs> they struggled with things in their life, man. I mean, when they're building the church, Peter's still struggling with racism against the Gentiles. He hates those things. He hates them. And he's learning to love them. I mean, Paul's like, listen, bro, got it. You can, if you're going to be with them, be with them. You know, don't, don't you know, pull yourself aside and act like you're better. You're not better. Jesus died for all of us. You know, Paul has to remind him here. You know, I mean, even, even after we see their issues, even after we see the struggle there, it's, it's, it's all good, right? But Jesus is friends with these guys. He's kind to these guys that have their struggles, right? Jesus was kind to the sick. When other people were like, I'm not going in that house. I don't know what they got. <laughs> Jesus is kind to them. Loved on them, the lepers, things like that. He was kind to prostitutes. They made fun of him for going and talking to them at all. But he was kind to the people who other people deemed that not to be kind to, right? He was even kind to the Pharisees, who were the leaders of the church who were really spiritually blind. They, didn't, they couldn't even see that they were looking at the Son of God as he stood, stood right before them, right? His kindness was able to change their life. And if you let it, it can change yours too. And those who you experience Christmas with as well. Because they're already like, you know, I think the general consensus is I'm going to tell you this. If you didn't know that judgment is not a fruit of the Spirit. My wife says, what? She didn't realize that, but <laughs> that's what happens when I have the microphone. I get to say that. Um, 
So judgment isn't part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not for us to judge them at Christmas. You know, I, 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 we talk about it uh, in our house about, like, so when we're all really strategic, like, we're like, okay, when we go there, we realize there's, n- like, we would love to say something that's going to change, you know, one of our, say, our family member's life that maybe they're struggling through something. I would love to go in there and just like, man, I just want to bring Jesus. But I also realize, too, that I haven't invested a whole lot. It's not like I'm there every day for them. I'm at this point, because I haven't spent the time, right, I don't necessarily have the say. And so I have to be careful of the things I do say. I have to be smart about how I approach this situation. What I find myself doing is I need to love them as much as I can while I'm there and save my judgment or any other words of correction for another time when I can wisely invest into that person and they will receive because I've invested. You know, And I have to think about those moments, right? That's part of being kind. That's part of realizing the nature of what is happening and, 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 and understanding the time that I've spent. The next one, so we went from patience to kindness, and then it says goodness. Now, again, this word can mingle with a few others, but there's also some interesting things about this word, and it, it should kind of catch our attention. This word in the Greek is agathosuna, agathosuna, right? So it's kind of got it rooted in love. It's kind of rooted in the word love. It actually means upright of heart and life, upright of heart and life. But there's also this other idea associated with this word. And it's the word beneficent, beneficent. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a scholar. I didn't know what that word meant. And I'm studying this thing, right? And, and it's interesting because it promotes an idea more than a definition. It's not like there's this clean-cut definition for what this word is because this word is an idea. Be- beneficence is an ethical idea of doing what is right because it is what is best for everyone. That's what this word that they're looking to describe is. Beneficence is is what they're saying. This goodness is doing what is right because it's what's best for someone else. It's it's unique also because it's also only found in the epistles. Only Paul talked about this. Um, It's not anywhere else. It is a description of God really that is being superimposed upon his creation through the Holy Spirit. At least that is the idea once you say that it is a fruit of the Spirit and that we should bear the same goodness that God has where we do what is morally right, giving our best to our fellow man or woman. That's what goodness is. We do what's right because it's best for you. I I am doing what is right because it's best for others. Right? It's not just for the sake of my reputation. It's not for the sake of uh, uh, judgment or worrying about judgment. No, I'm forgiven. I, there's no condemnation in Christ. I'm not facing any of that. I'm doing what is right and what is you know, right of heart or upright of heart because it's what's best for everyone else. So if I live this way, it's better for you. And if you live this way, right, it's better for me. And I'm not living for myself in this. It's not a selfish goodness. It's a selfless Goodness is what it is. It's interesting. Goodness is also rooted in love and kindness too, and maybe they're really the driving factor in the moral push to do uh, always uh, what is upright to our neighbors. It's likely we find ourselves, um, it's like this is kind of what obviously Jesus was undertaking when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. This is goodness. Love your neighbor as yourself. This idea of beneficence, this idea of goodness is rooted in the loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm doing it for you, because I love you, I am going to be good. Not because I love me, because I love you, right? I love Christ. Christ says, love your neighbor yourself, second highest commandment. This is goodness. 
How can we live? How can we, without this fiber of goodness in us, um, be uh, inconsiderate? We can't be. We, goodness requires us to be considerate of others. Goodness, this doing what's best for others, this moral uprightness requires us to be kind. It drives everything. It's a neat word. It's a neat word. I hadn't seen it before. <coughs> so we move from goodness into uh, the next one is faithfulness. This seems like an easy, to me, it's a power word. Faithfulness is a power word. The Greek word here, pestis, is used 253 times. 253 times this Greek word is used, but 239 to specifically describe the conviction of soul uh, uh, that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. That's when you go look it up in the Strong's, that's what it's going to say. That you know that you know that you know. Right? This word pestis means like solid ground stuff. Like you have no doubt that God exists, that God is the creator, right? If you study this word, basically it's like a page upon page of bedrock, just solid rock stuff, right? It is to believe, period. To not have any question about what you believe, right? Psalm 18:2, the Lord is my rock. Bedrock, my fortress, my savior, my God is my rock in whom I find protection. This is that word. Pestis, to have faith, to stand on something stronger than you, to know that you know. Faithfulness believes that God is who he says and is and declares it, it sings about it, it decrees it, and it lives on it. Faithfulness allows you to devote your life without effort because your internal belief is so strong and is so solid that it will uphold you to the truth of the gospel. Praise God. I remember another preacher saying it this way. If you've come to tell me that Jesus isn't real, you are too late. You're too late. I know that I know that I know that I know. I am never going to take that step backwards out of faith. The days for me of going backwards are over. I don't always strive like I should, but I am never going back. And there used to be a day where I could honestly say that. I, there used to be days years ago where it was like, man, it seems like I got one, I got one leg back there in the, in the fence and one leg like mostly hanging out. I'm mostly hanging out, but I'm kind of scared to leave the fence a little bit. And you're always kind of teetering back with old friends and you're going back and forth. No, 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 no. Pesties, that... Faith is solid within me now. It's buried. I'm live, I live on the rock at this point right now in my life. There is no going back, right? My life is changed because of pesties, because of faithfulness in God and my firm belief that he is the El Shaddai, the great God Almighty, right? My creator, my king, my savior. Faithfulness is a life-changing attribute. It changes your life. I remember seeing it in my brother-in-law as he witnessed the gospel to me. I didn't know if Jesus was real at the time, but the one thing I walked away with, and you've heard this story, he did. He did. He possessed pesties. He possessed faithfulness. He possessed a belief that was beyond me. I couldn't understand Christ in that moment, but the one thing I walked out of there knowing is he sure did. He had no doubt. He, he believed it so strongly and was so convincing about him believing it that I thought, man... It's probably possible. I mean, he saw, it, was a, it was a sure thing. And he was so overly confident about how real Jesus is. You'd have swore he'd, he'd just known him and like we were going to go to Jesus' house later. Not Asus, but Jesus' house. <laughs> All right? It's possible. People make jokes. Come on now. So I, 
this is the way it is, right? When you experience someone with that kind of faith and that kind of conviction, I'm not going to lie, it's hard to deny. It's hard to deny who Jesus is. And when people see that in you, it'll be hard to deny as well. When people see that in you. The next word that comes across, man, faithfulness, even though we can be so strong and so bedrock in our faith, still the next word after faithfulness is gentleness. That's a hard one after we come off this bedrock thing, right? You know, where, at least for me, I say I experienced faithfulness being witnessed to, but it wasn't in the funnest point. It wasn't gentle. I can tell you that right now. It was like the first time I met my brother-in-law, and he's with his friend. I'm in alone uh, in a room with them, and I'm worrying about, like, when he asked me if I'm going to heaven or hell, if he's, like, about to send me there. You know, was, I didn't know if he was threatening me to, to not date his sister-in-law. You know, I didn't know. But it wasn't gentle, I can tell you that, you know? You got to walk. You, can't, you don't get to just do like pick which fruits you walk in. Well, I'm just only gifted in faithfulness. No, no, that's not how it works. You have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gifts you all of these. You walk in all of these. You don't get to pick which ones you walk in. Now, the, the New Living, when we read it, it doesn't really do a great job identifying this word. It's not wrong. It's just generic, right? It's like buying the Walmart brand. It's what we did here. We, gentleness is really the Walmart brand. A better word for this would be meekness. If you go up and look up the word and, and you get in the Greek and you're going to see that the word is meekness, it's actually used more for the word meekness or translated into meekness more than any other word. Uh, uh, but gentleness and meekness really go hand in hand. And I'm not sure how much we like this word uh, uh, meekness uh, or, or in this case gentleness. And the, the reason why it's, it's found in the definition is meekness is defined as being quiet, as being gentle and easily imposed upon or uh, submissive. And I think often uh, we feel as if we're too meek when we're taken advantage of, right? And we worry about that. So we worry about meek. Meekness doesn't appeal to us because we worried that meekness gets taken advantage of. Well, it kind of does because it's submissive a little bit at times. Uh, the, the issue with that is that I think that God has called us to kind of understand how this works. He's called us to be wise as a serpent, yet it's gentle like a dove. We're still supposed to be meek doesn't stop us from being smart about something, right? And how we handle something, right? We are called to be servants. To lead is to serve. To serve is to be submissive. Like that or not, at this church, I am the lead servant. Not the leader, the lead servant. I'm the head butler. That's what I am, right? My leadership style is to serve you in a way that inspires you to serve others. So my hope is when I come in and if I'm doing setup or I'm working things behind the scenes or anybody else, listen, we're just trying to serve one another and I'm trying to serve you as best I can or however I can in the hopes that I'll inspire you to serve, you know, to, to be servants of someone else. That's the hope. We do this not just in church, but outside the four walls as well. Even more so, God loves the meek. God loves the meek. And according to Jesus, it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. Like that or not, right? So I say it's safe to say that God is for the meek, and he sees your serving, and he sees your servant's heart. He sees it when others take advantage of you. Don't worry about it. Be meek. It's good. It's not bad. If people take advantage of your meekness, that's not bad. You know, one of the things we used to say a long time ago, well, I don't want to give it to them. I don't know who I'm giving my money to. I don't know what they're going to do with it if I just hand it to some guy on the street. I don't care. If God tells me to give money, I'm giving money. If my heart compels me to give it, I'm going to give it. I gave it to the Lord. I tell you what, I pity the person that takes money from me because with it comes the, the Lord. And you can go spend it on anything you want. You can go buy alcohol with it. That's not going to bother me none. 
your conscience, that's a whole other story. And you say, well, maybe they don't have one. Oh, the Lord will come and find everybody. The Lord finds everybody. I'm over the whole idea to think that somehow God's people, some people are going to escape the Lord. That's craziness. And you want to know what bona fide crazy is? Crazy is thinking you're somehow going to escape this world without knowing the Lord. You will know who he is. You will. You will. I promise you. Don't worry about those things. We give to God a lot of those things. Don't worry about them. Instead, focus on what the Bible promises. Instead of worrying about you know, issues with submissiveness or worry about issues being taken advantage of, right? the Bible promises to those who practice humility, to those who practice meekness and gentleness, Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble or the meek in doing what is right, teaching them his way. Right? To walk in his way is to walk to the end, guys, to meet the finish line. Psalm 37, 11, the meek will possess the land and live in peace and prosperity. Those are the promises of God. I could have kept going. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch. So throw off the cares of this world. Be a servant. Live, live peacefully. Live, live, be gentle. Be good. Be meek. Right? And, and hang on to the promises of God. I know oftentimes, man, and maybe we need to go over this sometime, just the promises of God. Like, like you know, one of the things that as you get older, you kind of learn that, that some of the discipleship that the previous generation had given me, there was some good stuff in there. Stuff that we don't do anymore. Like, there used to be a time we used to just shout out the promises of God. Or remember we used to get index cards, and you taped them up all over your house? And nobody did that, just me? You used to get index cards, and you put scriptures on them that would bring you up, right? So in the bathroom in the morning, there's scriptures all up against the wall, right? So you can tell yourself how great you are, you know, how beautiful you are, how God thinks you're wonderful. Good stuff, right? It's really great stuff, right? You're having a bad day, that's usually on the fridge, because how do you take out your bad day? You eat it. You eat it gone. Like, I have a bad day. Where are the cupcakes, you know? Come on. So you put that on your fridge and everything, and then before you get your dishes out, you got scriptures on there. And, you know, it's just all taped up, and as you're doing the dishes, they're sitting there on the window or on the wall right there, so you can read your scriptures and be reminded of something. They're like all over the place, right? And what was that designed to do? To remind us that God loves us, to remind us that God has something else for us, that when all, no matter how bad it gets or how rough it can be, that God has a promise for us, that God has a life that's out there, an abundant life that's ready for us to take, and that every day if we don't work towards it and walk towards it and fight for it and claim it, it's never going to happen. God calls those things that be not as though they are. He always speaks like that because it's hopeful type speaking. Think about it. It's hopeful speaking. Yeah, my day is not going to be great. I am not going to fall in line with all the other preachers and tell you every year is your best year yet. Because sometimes they're not. You know, I'm not going to lie. You know, the first year, y'all have heard me kind of give that speech before. I'm never going to say this is your best year yet. Can you imagine if I said that this year? Can I tell you how bad my heart hurts to know that we, we've only been around three years and we lost two of our members this year? Had to go to funerals this year. I'm telling you, in three years of doing church, I didn't think I'd like come across that so fast. And, or how much it would hurt me. You know, that doesn't make it my best year yet. <laughs> I want to get mad at all those preachers that say that stuff. How about this? How about every day I get to walk with the Lord is just a good day. And when it reaches a full year, I'll have more of those good days with Jesus than I had bad days with Jesus. The great thing about my bad days is Jesus walks with me on those days. Right? It's a good year because I walk with Jesus. But life is still hard. No matter what, I don't want to like sugarcoat life. But the great thing about God and the great thing about Jesus, the great thing about these fruits of the Spirit is they allow us to walk through life in a different fashion. We walk through life producing hope. Because we are so fixed on a hope that's far out, right, that we're constantly walking towards, others see us and like, how are you so hopeful? And you don't, you don't answer, I don't know. It's obvious because I'm focused on the Lord. 
Well, how do you stay focused on the Lord? Because I'm rooted in his word. I've got all these scriptures around my house. Have you seen my house? It looks like a bunch of index cards. I got like 400 index cards. That's our new wallpaper. It's nothing but, you know, you walk down the middle of the, the hallway and it's going to be scriptures. Everywhere. I mean, we used to do that stuff. And it worked. It was good. It worked. It worked why? Because it reminded us of the word of God. It planted the seed of God inside of us, right? Now we don't use index cards. Why? Because we've read them for so many years that we know those scriptures and we have a tendency to say them now, right? And I, the biggest reason today we're struggling with depression in the church, the biggest reason today we're struggling with discipleship in the church is because a lot of us, I'm just off the notes now, but because a lot of us don't practice the basic fundamentals of our faith like we used to. Reading the Bible has gotten so easy that we can just have it read to us. But I, I would say maybe not everything needs to be so easy. Because sometimes in easy we don't appreciate. How many of you, you know, if you're like, if, if you're a parent, you've already done this. You know, I've, I've, I've done a little with my kids. And, but everybody's like, your mom at some, my mom at some point, like, man, when you have to buy it for yourself, that's when you're appreciated. So you always tore up all of our stuff. That's what my mom would say. She was telling me, all my kids, you know, we got a Simon Says for Christmas. Y'all remember those? They'd light up, tell you which one to hit. She goes, we had it for one day, and you tore it apart. She goes, you know why? Because you just needed to see how it worked. That's it. And then you couldn't figure out how to put it back. <laughs> she goes, well, that was 50 bucks of wasting. That was a lot of money back then. <laughs> I was like, apparently you're still holding grudges. <laughs> well, well, I'll talk to you later in counseling. <laughs> Boy, don't appreciate it, right? I can understand that now as a parent. What the heck did you? I just bought that, <laughs> right? As a parent, I get it now, right? I get that. I understand it, right? We don't appreciate things that are easy for us at times, and we need to work for it. And, and you know, what I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't make things easy. Come and follow me. What about my wife and kids? I'll see you later. He just didn't make stuff easy. Like, just when it started to get easy, he starts saying weird stuff again. Hey, man, drink my blood and eat my flesh. Okay, I'm out on that one. Right? But those are like, I don't know what he means. I'm going to trust that it's not that, and we're going to have dinner. Right? And they stay. And the ones that keep staying, man, those are the ones that grow. And over every line of difficulty God puts in front of you, and you keep surpassing it, right? So, hey, you know what? Um, I'm still trying to learn how to, t I remember trying to learn how to tithe, and I'm not tithing really well and stuff. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to keep blessing, but you're going to keep f feeling that heartache of it until you start to learn that this is not your God, that money is not what's going to bail you out in life. Until you learn that, that I'm your source, it's always going to be the struggle for you, right? And I remember, man, for years and years it being our struggle. Like, it just seems like we can't, we can't, God, we can't. And then after a while of, well, like, no matter what we're going to, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, looking back now, I'm like, how did we survive? How did we survive without not giving God our 10%? Like, how did we do it? Because it seemed when we were struggling giving it is when we were struggling all the time. And it, we, it's not like we made more money. We just started giving it. And then it was all of a sudden like somehow it all worked out. And I don't know how it all worked out, but it all just worked out. And then over time, it was like, now I'm scared not to. Like, oh my gosh, life is getting hard. Did we tithe? Did we tithe? <laughs> Just making sure, because I hope we tithe otherwise, because life is getting real hard right now. I, I don't know, you know. But it's funny how that works like that. It just totally, like, changes. You get backwards in your way of thought. Like, I'm, I'm so over the top now about it, it, it's, it would scare me if we didn't. Like, oh, man, something's like the world's going to fall. I mean, I, I'm so used to it, right? I mean, they, these are things that we build up, man. The fruits of the Spirit, they're not things that, like, you instantly, like, hey, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you're great at it. No, no. you got to work at these things. All these things you got to work with. This last one might be the hardest thing. Uh, that we will uh, talk about, man. It's called self-control. It's like an ugly word. 
self-control. At the service, it makes us cringe, right? Because I don't know anybody that couldn't use a little bit more, especially me. At service level, we we know this word well. We've all had to learn a measure of self-control in this world. It is what shuts the mouth when it's talking too much. When I was a kid, that was a big fist. Self-control taught me right in the mouth. Hey, probably shouldn't say that. Yeah, it's a good, thank you, God. But I didn't say that back then. I didn't thank God for it. But that's what taught me self-control. And listen, uh, I've, you know, I've been one of those boys that you said something to your mom at the wrong time and you got popped right in the mouth. And she would just pop you like square up right there. And it felt awkward. But I remember thinking, I won't say that again. Because <laughs> then I look over at my dad and he's got those pursed lips. <laughs> he's paying for it now. You can see that poor guy. He's got little lines on his lips now. We made that guy angry like his whole life. You know, it just stuck with him. It's what shuts the mouth. I mean, he could have just looked at us. That was enough, right? Taught us, man. We teach our kids self-control. We teach them how to shut their mouth. We teach them how to control their behavior. We teach them that we teach them no. Like that's enough. We teach them what self-control is. Self-control is taught to us, right? It's what cools the temper when it's overly provoked. Self-control has allowed many a person to turn the other cheek. True. This is the easiest way to talk about the word being used in the Greek here, but that would only limit its scope. If you look up the word in the Greek, there is another more pointed meaning. And when I say more pointed, I just mean to say that the strong concordance, show, they show this word to be more direct, more like intentional. The Greek word is ekrasia, ekrasia. And the definition is really specific. It is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. Actually, it says, i.e., his, his sensual appetites. In plain English, it means that you become a person whose dreams and passions don't control you, but you control them. It's easy to say self-control is just about containing your attitude, but it's not just that. That's not the word, the way it's used here. It's, it's really about you controlling the ideas and dreams you have for your life and, 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 and uh, really allowing the Lord to really move in some of those things. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can chase things and even be passionate about things that, are, that, are God, that, that really aren't God-centered at all. And this is why we need self-control. So that we can refocus our priorities on that which God wills for our life rather than let our life uh, pull us around. One of these times for me was when I was uh, mad at the church. And just angry. To me, if you haven't been uh, mad at a church yet or hated the church at some point, you haven't been saved very long. And uh, it's just the truth. And, and, and the, the, as I was angry, I just remember thinking, you know, I have all these gifts and all these talents that God has given me. And I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy. And I can do a lot of things. And the problem that I had was it didn't seem like the church really wanted it. And maybe because it was a lot of unbridled. And some, and some guys, leadership-wise, they might be intimidated by a guy they can't just rein, rein in really good. You know, one of the things my mentor, Stephen, was really good at, by the grace of God, somehow God gave him the ability to hold back my reins. Whether, whether, that, whether that was through respect or something spiritual was happening there. Uh, because I can tell you this, this is how bad it was. I came into the youth department when God was calling me back into ministry away from hunting and was being mentored by him, who was a couple years younger than me, and all of the youth sponsors hated me. He wouldn't tell me that until a couple years later, but they all acted like they liked me. Praise God. Praise God. It might have made a difference. You know, I, I really do think it made a difference. They tolerated me, I guess is the best word. They were being kind to me and gentle with me. But Stephen would tell me, yeah, dude, they used to come up in here and be like, dude, you got to get rid of this guy. 
he like tries to run everything. You know, he comes in here, he doesn't even been in here very long, and he's trying to run everything. He's like, listen, he's going to tell you, this guy's going to be gold. Like, trust me, let's just, let's deal with him, and I'm going to rein him in, and he's going to, he's going to be solid. You'll see, you know. The irony is, a couple years later, two or three, four years later, we're working through ministry there, and they'll, t- they, they would tell you that they love me to death, they love my family, and when we go back and, and we see Terrell, and we see a lot of those people that we served with, you know, they're just so happy for us, and there's some of our best friends up there that, like, support us uh, big time, and, and even uh, the pastor who really didn't want to release us at all, he's like, I don't want to release y'all, we just got y'all great. We just, we just invested all this work into you. We don't want to have to make you leave. And I remember Stephen having to even go to the senior pastor and go, listen, pastor, we're going to be defined by how many people we send out, not by how many people sit in the chairs. How many people we send. And he goes, let us send this guy. We'll send him down to Marble Falls. He's going to be a great minister. And that'll be all the fruit that he regains will be the, will be the main tree that this acorn dropped from. And man, that'll be our fruit all the way down in Marble Falls. He said, pastor, it's going to be a good thing. And, man, Stephen had the foresight, and he had maturity beyond, I mean, measure. God had given him a gift, you know. God gave him the gift of reigning me in, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Stephen taught me self-control. He, he taught a lot of that to me. My pastor there taught me a lot of self-control. Uh, but I wanted to go do these other things. I, I, at first, had these other hearts. Now, what it would cause me to do is self-control. I would take the things I was passionate about. At that time, for me, being so angry at the church, not wanting to walk in the will of God, you know, with ministry and things like, thinking that was really impossible because I'm too mean, too, uh, um, have a bad tongue when it gets angry. And uh, not like I cuss, but like I can be pointed, right? You know how I learned how the bad things to say to girls? That's because I say bad things. Like, what, is that how you're doing your hair? I say that, okay? Um, and, and over time, I'm, I'm able to tell you about like what that does because I've had to live through God correcting me in those moments, you know? Um, but the Lord had me laid down. I remember he la- I laid down my hunting business. I said, I'm done. I had to tell the guys who all worked for me. I had like eight or nine people. and go, I'm, we're closing down. Not selling my business off. We're closing it down. It sends with me. And uh, I'm going into ministry. And they're like, what? We're killing it. We're doing so good. I'm like, yeah, but this is what God's calling me to do. And I can't take it anymore. I got to. I got to. It's killing me. I know that I know that I know pesties, right? Faithfulness. I know that I know that I know what God's calling me to do. I don't have any question in my heart about it. I'm just angry. And when that anger was over, I looked up and I'm not in the will of God. I just wanted that change to happen. And it took a lot of self-control. It took a lot of things trying to master these things. I had, a, I had this idea where I wanted to own property. I talked to my dad and my brothers. We're going to collaborate the trust together and buy property together. And had all these dreams about all that stuff. And I remember God calling me at one time going, listen, I need you to give that up. He didn't call it a fool's dream because it wasn't a fool's dream, I don't think. But God said, listen, what I need you to do is give me your dreams and give me the things you're passionate about and hand them over and trust me with them. You know, And at the end of the day, because I can tell you, in all honesty, besides the things that I would love to have materialistically, what I want more than anything is a great life. Not a good life. I had a good life. I want a great life. And a lot of people settle for a good life when they could have a great life. A good life will come in the form of sometimes well-to-do, our bills are paid, but, and sometimes the great life comes in like, I have no idea what we're doing tomorrow. Like, I have no idea, but that's the adventure of life, too. That's what I really wanted, I think, more than anything, is to be able to go wherever God wants to go, to do whatever God wants to do. And man, that happened. But that happened because God had to take me through a measure of self-control. I had to see it in others, and God had to send it through me, right? This is hard. I know. I know. But 
This is who we are. When, we, when, we, when we're like this, all of these attributes, they make up all these fruits of the Spirit. When we experience all these things, goodness, gentleness, peace, love, joy, all these things, right? They become a testimony. They become our testimony, right? Our witness to the rest of the world, right? So in a, in a week here, we're going to be uh, sitting around with our family and friends, and they're going to look for us to lead in this area. We're the Christians, right? This is Christmas, Christ must. This is what this is, right? Who's going to lead during the Christ time of the year, right? Or the Christian, right? So they're going to they're gonna look for us to lead, whether we realize it or not. And why? Because you've been all called to, to be a light in a dying world, right? You're supposed to be the city on the hill, remember? You're supposed to be the house that's on the solid rock. You've been called to be an ambassador of reconciliation. You are the witness that Jesus was born. How's, well, do we know this is true? Yeah, you know it's true because I know you. That's how I know. I know you. I see Jesus in you. I can, it's true that he was born. This is a true story. Why do I know that? Because I see it in, in you. That's how I know, right? This is their witness, right? Listen, one of the things that I think that in trying to convince somebody, I try to say it all the time, like, I, I, don't, I have the easiest job sometimes in, in ministry. You know, I come in here, I'll set up, I can do some physical things at all. The hardest job ever is always witnessing to others. That's the hardest job, right? How many of you love phone sales? None of you. None of you are in phone sales, right? Nobody wants to be either. Why? Because phone sales is probably 99.8, what? No. Hang up. Take my number off the, the list, right? Nobody wants, it's 98% no, Right? Welcome to witnessing, right? It's actually about 20% is success rate in witnessing, right? Adults are around 20% get saved. So that's, that seems pretty good. I can say 20%. We can seem optimistic. How about I just say 80% of the time they're going to say no. Now we're on the pessimistic side, all right? 80% of the time they're going to say no. It's the hardest job there is, right? But listen, it's really hard if you're not going to live and walk it. If you're not going to walk in the fruits of the Spirit, by the way, the, the Bible says in Acts 1.8 that you are called to be witness, that the Holy Spirit will be given to you so that you can be a witness. And if the Holy Spirit is going to be given to you, these are the fruits that we can see that the Holy Spirit is with you. These fruits are going to help you be a witness to others. That's how it works. This is what the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to give you. It's going to give you patience. It's going to give you self-control. It's going to give you goodness, meekness, gentleness, kindness, love, and joy, and peace. It's going to give you these things not so that you can just, hey, I can live this wonderful, abundant life. No, no, no. It's giving it to you so that you can share it with someone else. They are tools for a purpose. And if you're not going to live in that purpose, don't expect to walk in those tools. If you're not a carpenter, you don't walk with carpenter tools. Not a mechanic. You don't have the type of tools mechanics have. I know plumber. You know my my dad had done a lot of plumbing as a kid. There are actual tools that you can get that are specific just to plumbing that I I don't even understand. They go up in faucets and weird stuff. They do like weird things, right? They have certain tools for certain jobs. These tools that we're talking about today, they are the tools that are going to help you win your family. When you're praying, man, Lord, I just want my son to come back. I just want my daughter to come back. Lord, I just want my cousin, my nephew, my niece. Lord, I just want this family to know Jesus that I'm about to spend Christmas with. I just want them to know Jesus. I want them to understand Jesus. Well, God sent them you. And you might not like that, but it's true. God sent them you to be the angel of the Lord. Who on Christmas says he will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will go and give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You are the angel this Christmas that announces the birth of Christ. 
And the birth of Christ starts where? It starts in the heart of every believer. Christmas is not born of some American holiday. It's born into the hearts of every human being that accepts Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. Christ did die on the cross. Christ did rise from the grave. Amen? This is Christmas. This is what we're thankful for. This is what we're grateful for. When we hand out presents, this is where that generosity flows from. It flows from Jesus. It all comes from him. It all drives back to him. Everything tells the story so that you can tell the story of where it all comes from. Well, you know why we're giving presents? It's because we love Jesus. You know, you know why we all get together? It's because we love Jesus and he made us to be able to be together. I mean, everything drives back. It's easy to talk about. You don't talk about, it's, well, it feels weird witnessing. Does it? Because it should be just normal. It's normal. That's why it's so easy for me to talk about it because everything drives to there or from there. It's real simple. If I create one road that you all, all of us have to go by, you know where I would start at talking? At that one road. Because that's the one thing we all have in common. Right? When I talk about patience, I can drive patience right back to the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, patience is from the Lord. Look about all these times in the Bible where, you know, well, let's just talk about self-control. Well, that's easy. Let's, let's, let's talk about self-control. Can you imagine he had to keep his mouth shut the whole time? When they were beating him, they had to keep his mouth shut. Do you, I mean, let's, let's, I, can get, I can go and go. You bring up a subject, we're going to find Jesus. Why? Because it all comes from him. It all drives back to him. They are the tool, they're the arrows in the back, right? Not only the devil shoots arrows, we do too. We shoot arrows of kindness. We shoot arrows of peace. We shoot arrows of joy. We don't just give the devil all the things, right? God made everything for us to be used, right? And I promise you, if we have to, sometimes, like Paul said, sometimes I just give them to the devil. And the devil becomes the very tool which brings them back to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? God can use anything to bring redemption and reconciliation. And God, this Christmas, has chosen you. Amen? You will be the proof of Christ. You will be evidence, exhibit A, that he is alive. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, God. I thank, the, I thank you, Lord, for everything, for all Christmas. Lord, I, I thank you that, God, that you've, you've come here in such a way, you've, you've provided for us in such a way that, that you're bringing the very people we need to talk to and be Jesus around in just a week or so, God, so that we can share with them the gospel. Lord, <coughs> it doesn't have to be necessarily that we get out and we just share the Christmas story. Lord, reveal the Christmas story in us, that in us he was born, that, that the light that, that, that brought the Magi is the same light that shines within us, God, that brings others unto us, God, so that we could tell them and show them the newborn King, Father. What is more powerful than that story, God? Lord, teach our mouths and our minds to work together to convey what the heart needs to say. Lord, let us walk in these in thankfulness and gratefulness and generosity. Let us walk in love and peace and joy. Let us walk in gentleness, kindness, goodness, patience, and self-control, God. Let us walk in the fruits of the Spirit. Let us walk in the gift of the Holy Ghost, God. Let us walk with the tongues of men and angels, God. So that we might see your glory in all things. In all things, God. In Jesus' name. Let's worship a little.